All right. Well, I'll, I'll welcome everyone back. It's great to hear so much happy chatter in here, and hopefully there's some good YouTube chatter too. Um, in a few moments, we're going to hear the reading of God's Word for this morning. We've been going through a, a four-week vision series at Grace Toronto. And so if you're new and investigating the church, this has been a good way to hear about some of our values. In particular, our values of being a missional church, a merciful church, a prayerful church. And today, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a city-positive church, a church in the city for the city. And so with that in mind, I'd like to turn your attention to the screen where my boy Scott is going to read the word for us this morning. The reading for today is from Jeremiah 29, verses 1 to 7. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisha, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those that carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's, there's an interesting and kind of a humorous phenomenon in American politics. After every single U.S. presidential election, all the way back to 2004, regardless of who wins the election, so whether it's George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, after every election, there is a huge upsurge in the number of Americans Googling how can I move to Canada? <laughs> and as smug Canadians, we love that. <laughs> you know, regardless of who wins the White House, there's, there's a subset of the American population who they look around at their country and they think, I hardly recognize this place. It doesn't feel like home to me anymore. It doesn't reflect my values and my concerns and they start to daydream about ways that they could escape. Now, you know, we might be tempted to chuckle at that, you know, as arrogant Canadians. <laughs> but I think the fact is, we've probably experienced that in our lifetimes too, haven't we? Have you ever had that experience where you look around at the place that you live, and all of a sudden it doesn't feel like home to you anymore? Maybe you see some of the values or the things that the place where you live, the things that it stands for, and, and you don't share those things. You start to feel out of place, like you don't belong. And in those moments, we can start to daydream about going to a better place, going to a place where people think like us and act like us. 
a place where we'd be comfortable, where we wouldn't stand out anymore. I know I've felt that way. And I know if you're listening this morning and you're a Christian and you live in Toronto, you probably love the city of Toronto. But if we're honest with ourselves, there are moments when we're confronted with things that Toronto celebrates, things that Toronto condemns, and those things remind us that we don't quite fit in as well as we'd like to think. And that's exactly the situation that God's people found themselves in in the letter which was read for us this morning. The people of God had been taken captive into Babylon, and they were uncomfortable, and they wanted to escape. And it's to that group of people that God's word came all those years ago, and he comes to us this morning with with a word which challenges us, encourages us, and comforts us. You see, Jeremiah told God's people, firstly, it's not an accident that you're in Babylon. It's not an accident that we are in Toronto. And secondly, God has a purpose for you while you are in Babylon. God has a purpose for you while you're in Toronto. And before we can unpack these two points, I think it's important that we get a bit of historical context about what's going on here. So the year is 598 BC, and Judea has been conquered by Babylon. They've been sort of a vassal state, a part of uh, the empire of Babylonia since the year 605 BC, so for seven years. And all of a sudden, uh, Judea revolts against the empire that's um, oppressing them. Now, Babylonia, they're a big player in the ancient Near East, and Judea is a very marginal power. And so King Nebuchadnezzar comes, very easily defeats uh, the city of Jerusalem, and he takes exiles. In fact, he takes 10,000 people into exile. And that includes the royalty. We have the queen mother going. It includes the court officials, army officers. Um, It includes the prophets, the priests, artisans, and craftsmen. They take all the professional class, all the elites, anyone with power and influence in society, and they take them back to Babylon. Now, this was a common practice in the ancient Near East uh, for two reasons. Firstly, it made the empire more powerful if you could take all the societal elites with their wisdom and skill and take them to your hometown and use their, their efforts and their work for the advancement of the empire. And secondly, it was an effective way of weakening rebellious vassal states. The only people left in Jerusalem were poor farmers. And so Babylon could safely expect they wouldn't have another uprising after that. Now, what was life like for these 10,000 exiles when they arrive in Babylonia? Well, on the one hand, it wasn't as bad as being a slave in Egypt. You know, the people weren't stripped of all their human rights. They weren't forced into hard labor, killed without consequence, abused. In fact, they were expected to continue doing whatever their craft was. So if they were a court official, they were expected to keep doing that, but do it in service of the court of Babylon. Or if they were craftsmen, keep doing your trade, but do it to enrich the culture of Babylon. And so they were free to keep doing that. They they did have some freedoms, but they weren't free to go home. And they were always pressured to assimilate into the Babylonian culture. And they would carry the humiliation of being a conquered and subjugated people. We can look at some famous exiles. We can look at people like Daniel. Daniel did very well for himself in exile. In fact, he rose to the status of the third highest governor 
in Babylonia. And yet he was stripped of his Hebrew name, and he was constantly threatened with death if he didn't assimilate into the cultic practices of the Babylonian religious system. We could look at someone like Esther. Esther rose to become the queen of Persia, very powerful person. And yet before that, she was forcibly enlisted into the king's harem with no agency in the matter. We can look at a poem that was written by a number of the exiles in Babylon, Psalm 137, where the exiles talk about being taunted by their captors, being told to sing songs about Jerusalem for the entertainment of those who had taken them as captives. So sure, life wasn't as bad as it was in Egypt, but it wasn't great either. And it's to this group of people that a number of false prophets come. And they start saying these wonderful things. They say, you know what? Don't get too comfortable in Babylon because guess what? Babylon's going to fall any day and we're going to be going home. That was wonderful news for the people. And this is the context that Jeremiah writes his letter. And he starts off his letter by challenging the false prophets. He says, you aren't in Babylon by accident. And by extension to us today, you aren't in Toronto by accident. Look with me at verse 4 and verse 7. Verse 4 says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 7 Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And so it might have seemed to the exiles as if they were in Babylon simply as a consequence of geopolitical forces totally outside their control. They're in Babylon because King Nebuchadnezzar conquered them and he took them into Babylon. But Jeremiah says, God was working in, through, and behind the actions of King Nebuchadnezzar. So it's kind of funny because verse 1 says that King Nebuchadnezzar carried the exiles off into Babylon. And then verses 4 and 7 say it was God who carried off the exiles into Babylon. And so we could look at this and ask the question, well, who did it? Did God do it? Or did Nebuchadnezzar do it? The biblical answer to those questions would be yes. Yes to both. What about us today? How is it, and I mean this seriously, I want you to think about it, how is it that you came to be in Toronto right now? What were the circumstances that brought you here to Toronto instead of anywhere else in the world? Now, I imagine some of the circumstances were very under your control, right? You applied to a number of universities, and either U of T or Ryerson or York was on the top of your list, and you were accepted, so you chose to come here. Or it could be that in whatever your field is, there are tons of jobs in that field in Toronto. And so it made logical sense for you to move here. Or it could be you're a person, you just love the city. You love its energy. You know, you really get a high off of that. And so Toronto was an attractive place for you to come. I also imagine there were some circumstances which were beyond your control. You know, we didn't decide where and when we were born such that we could end up in Toronto in 2022 instead of Munich in 1422. 
We didn't decide upon our personalities, our skills, our aptitudes, all the things that make us who we are and make Toronto either an attractive or a logical decision. And so could it be that when we think about all the different things that have brought us here, is it possible that there is a sovereign God who has his loving hand on your life? Is it possible that you're not here by accident? I think this is a really encouraging thing for us to reflect on, especially in those moments when Toronto can feel uncomfortable. You know, Grace Toronto has been in this building for, I don't know if it's been five or six years or so. And during our time here, I mean, we love being an urban church. We love being downtown. There are moments when it's pretty tough to be a downtown church. In the, the few years we've been here, we've had rocks thrown through our stained glass windows. We've had graffiti painted on the side of the church. We've had an angry person in the service stand up and interrupt the preacher while he was speaking. We've had a person with some instability who was in the lobby and pushed over our senior pastor. We've had picketers standing out front the door, interrupting worshipers as they came in. And in those moments, I think it's tempting to think, man, it'd be pretty sweet to be Grace Muskoka Church. <laughs> and so in those moments when we feel uncomfortable, I think it's such an encouragement to think, could there be a God who has his loving hand on our lives? Could it be that we're not here by accident? Now, I need to make a caveat because I, I, you know, I know there are people in this room and you're not going to be in Toronto forever. And that's okay. Being in Toronto is not a life sentence, okay? Um, we can think about people like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, as far as we know, he was either unmarried or he was widowed, didn't have any kids, didn't have a house, and he had a very nomadic lifestyle. He moved from city to city. That's not unbiblical. That's totally okay. Jesus Christ was the same way. And so if you're a university student and you're listening to the sermon and you're thinking, well, I'm only going to be in Toronto a couple years before I go back home, you don't need to feel guilty about that. It's okay. Or if you're someone and, you know, you live in Toronto right now, but you can envision a time when life circumstance will take you elsewhere, you don't need to feel guilty about that. It's not unbiblical. The question becomes, what would God have us do with the time that we are here? What would God have us do with the time that we are here? And so let's continue to look at the text this morning. So Jeremiah continues to challenge the words of the false prophets. He says, your exile is not going to be a short one. In fact, you're going to be in exile in Babylon for 70 years. And so it's time that you unpaused your life. You need to resume the normal patterns of life. You need to buy houses, build houses, plant gardens, get married, have children, and so on. And Jeremiah ends that section of command with a very surprising word in verse 7. Seek the welfare, seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, in its shalom, you will find your welfare, your shalom. What are God's people supposed to do? while they're in exile? What are we supposed to do while we are in Toronto? Seek the shalom. 
of the city. Now, shalom is one of those Hebrew words that we don't have a good English translation for it. Um, in the translation I was using, it's translated as welfare. Seek the welfare, seek the shalom of the city. Elsewhere, it can be translated as peace. But shalom has an idea of this total, holistic flourishing. Shalom means physical flourishing, social flourishing, economic flourishing, psychological flourishing, spiritual flourishing, and so on. And so God is calling his people, while they live under the conquering empire, to seek the total holistic welfare of their city. Astounding. And yet, maybe, maybe it shouldn't be so surprising. I mean, a millennia earlier, God had come to Abraham, the father of Israel, and he said to Abraham, through your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So this was the vocation, the calling of God's people ever since the founding of Israel to be a blessing to the whole world. And as we look at the story of the exiles, we can see a number of them really lived into this calling. Going back to Daniel, Daniel served a whole succession of Babylonian and Persian kings with honor and distinction. Going back to Esther, her uncle Mordecai discovered a plot to assassinate the king of Persia, and he warned the king about the plot. The uh, assassination plot was foiled. Or thinking of Queen Esther, one of the ways she sought the, the shalom of the city, she actually risked her own life in opposing the king to his face because he enacted a law which was wicked and would not produce shalom in his city. But of course, the greatest example of a person who sought the shalom, the welfare of the city, of the world in fact, is Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases this passage as Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And it wasn't a very nice neighborhood that he chose. Born to an unwed mother in a stable surrounded by livestock. His family had to flee as refugees to Egypt. There was a plot to take his, his life as a child. And when he grew up and entered ministry, he didn't have a penny to his name, didn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus chose to come to Babylon. He chose to enter exile so that he could spread the shalom of God. And wherever he went, that's exactly what he did. We can think about the man who was oppressed and terrorized by a legion of demons, and Jesus comes to him, liberates him, restores his sanity, brings shalom. We can think about the woman who suffered from a discharge of blood for over a decade. She spent all that she had trying to get well. She only got worse. She had physical pain. She had social pain of being ostracized from the community. And Jesus came and healed her and brought shalom to her life. We can think of Jairus, one of the leaders in the city who had the terrible experience of having his young daughter pass away. And Jesus came into that house and raised her back to life and restored shalom for that family. We can think of 5,000 people who were hungry spiritually and hungry physically, and Jesus brought shalom to them by feeding them spiritual nourishment and feeding them physical food. And we can think of the greatest act of Jesus of all, which is when he went up on that cross 
when he was exiled from the very presence of God so that he could break the yoke of our conquerors and enable us to return home. After the ascension, Jesus gave his church the task of continuing that work, of spreading his kingdom, spreading his shalom to all corners of the world. And so then the question comes, what does it look like for us, Grace Toronto Church, to carry on that work in the city of Toronto? Now that's an enormous question because we talked earlier about shalom being total holistic flourishing. So what does it look like for us as a church to bring emotional flourishing, psychological flourishing, physical flourishing, economic flourishing, spiritual flourishing to the city of Toronto? That question is too big for one sermon, so I just want to get the ball rolling with a couple thoughts. The first thing I would point out is that Jeremiah says we are to seek after and pray for the shalom of the city. We're not just supposed to pray, we're supposed to seek. And we're not just supposed to seek, we're supposed to pray. There's a New York Times best-selling author and pastor named Timothy Keller who wrote a book um, about Jonah from the Old Testament. And in that book, he gives eight characteristics of a prosperous and healthy city or community. I'm not going to list them all here, but I'll share a few of them with you because I think they give us a good target to dream for the city of Toronto. So firstly, that Toronto would be a safe environment rather than a city plagued by crime or health hazards. That Toronto would um, be economically prosperous with humane working conditions rather than a community marked by unemployment and poverty. That Toronto would be a city of peace rather than than a place with constant conflict between individuals, groups, races, and religions. That Toronto would be a just society rather than a place of corruption or a place where the justice system is slanted in favor of the powerful. That there would be publicly available resources in Toronto. Schools, excellent schools, excellent hospitals, good parklands, good recreation facilities and libraries that Toronto would be committed to caring for the weak, the elderly, the chronically ill, the single parent, the orphan, the immigrant, and so on. Now, as we hear that list, I'm actually encouraged because I think you're probably involved in some of those things already. We have business owners in Grace Toronto who are employing people in this city. You are spreading God's shalom. We have healthcare workers in this city who are working hard to take care of people and restore their physical health. You are spreading God's shalom. We have artists here and people who enjoy going to the arts and encouraging the development of the good and the beautiful in Toronto. You are spreading God's shalom. And perhaps as you heard me reading some of that list, there were some items that jumped out to you and and you thought to yourself, you know, that intrigues me. I could pray for that. I could even see myself serving in some capacity there. That might be the way God invites you to spread shalom in Toronto. There's a couple ministries at Grace Toronto I would draw your attention to as well as a way that our church seeks to spread shalom in Toronto. We have the Grace Center for the Arts. This is a community that's dedicated to helping people at Grace support and appreciate good art. It's also a community that wants to foster and develop the arts in Toronto. One of the ways that our church wants to seek to help us appreciate and to produce good and beautiful things. 
one of the ways we spread shalom. We have a group at Grace committed to faith and work. One of the nicknames of Toronto is the city that works. Work is very important in our city, and so our church wants to be dedicated to thinking about this. How can we work in a better way? What does that look like? It's one of the ways we want to spread shalom in Toronto. We also have the Grace Center for Mercy and Justice. There are so many needs in our city. We want to be a church that gets our hands dirty and gets involved in the neighborhood. This is one of the ways we want to seek to spread the shalom of God in our city. And you can check out any of those ministries on our website. We'd welcome you to look at them, bring your own creativity, bring your own ideas to get involved in spreading God's shalom. Grace Toronto wants to be a church in the city for the city. We want to love Toronto, even if that means sometimes a rock gets thrown through our window, sometimes spray paint is put on the side of our building. We want to be in it for the long haul. We want to love the city. We want to look for the good, look for the beautiful, and support and get behind those things. We want to seek after and pray for the shalom of Toronto. And we want to be committed to doing these things here until Christ himself returns, until the heavenly city of Jerusalem descends, our exile ends, and the shalom of God reigns in the city of Toronto into all four corners of the world. Amen. At this point in the service, we do have some time for question and answers. And so um, if you heard anything in the sermon you'd like to interact with, I'd invite you to send a text message to the number that we have. Um, If we have some questions, I'll have some time to speak to those now. Um, But if we don't have any questions yet, I can also text you back at another time. Stephen's going to help me read them if there are any. I just have a bit of trouble reading because my eyes. So, um, Stephen, do we have any questions? Uh, Yes, we do. Okay. Um, We have one question, and the question asks this. Can we consider the church to be in exile just as Israel was in exile in Babylon? Absolutely, yeah. Um, Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Look at James 1 as well. In the New Testament, consistently, God's people are addressed as exiles. And so one of the marks of being a Christian is that we are a people in exile. Um, When I was preparing for the sermon, I, I did some research and watched a talk by Tim Keller, and he talked about the word exile actually means resident alien. And so those two words are important. Resident means we actually live here, but alien means we belong to a different country. Kind of like being an ambassador, right? The Canadian ambassador to France lives in France, learns to speak French, preferably with no accent at all. Um, They understand French culture. They build bridges with people in France. But ultimately, they represent Canada. And the same is true for all Christians today. Uh, We have another one. Uh, The people were exiled in Babylon because they were unfaithful to God. So this was punishment. How is this the same or different for Toronto? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) Yeah, is is being in Toronto a punishment? Yeah, we can't draw a straight line from the way that God interacted with the nation state of Israel and the way that he interacts with his people today. And so it's true, you've rightly pointed out that the people were sent into exile in Babylon because of their sin. Um, That's no longer the case in in the New Testament. God's people are called exiles simply because we are no longer a nation state. 
We don't live in a, you know, a certain area where all God's people live together. And so no matter where we go, we are, as I mentioned before, we are exiles, we are ambassadors. And that's not because of sin. It's because of the nature of what it means to be God's people scattered throughout the world. One more question. Thank you. If we... um, it's a similar question, but a little bit differently nuanced. But the question asks, how do we know this verse isn't contextual for the exiles during that specific time? How do we know it applies to us today? Yeah, well, and, and I think there are certainly aspects of this verse which are contextual, um, only for people in ancient Israel. So if, if you walked away from today and you thought I was saying to you, you need to buy a house in Toronto, get married, and have a Torontonian baby, um, then, then we've misread the text, right? Because that was specific uh, as a commandment to the people in ancient Israel. If you walk away and you hear, I'm going to be in Toronto for 70 years until God liberates me, then, then obviously we've misread the text. But there are certain principles which are universal. God's people are called to seek the shalom of wherever they are. That is universal. That's a command for us today as it was for them. Um, if you'd like to interact with me further, feel free to continue to send texts, but I think I, I will conclude there and invite... Stephen, are you coming up now? All right, come on back up, Stephen.